Good evening, heroes. And welcome to First Watch. I'm James D'Amato. And I'm Cat Cool. And there we go. We did it. We did it. We remembered. That's I. I'm almost certain that's not the proper sequence. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. We're not gonna get it right anytime soon. Literally, everyone who listens to the show knows how to do the show better than we. Better than we do it. I'm sorry, we're so bad at this and many things. Yeah. Well, you know, we're sorry. Uh, that's that's the best that we can do in many circumstances. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's get this thing started uh, after a while of just being on the run as an adventuring party, sprinting from one bad situation into the next where we were not even able to make camp to get our full eight hours of sleep or long or short rest, depending on which edition we're playing. I think we were also under contract from from the king to be doing or like his advisor to be doing some pretty secretive stuff for a little while so we were just like we were you know we were running around doing that biz Uh, this party's been through some stuff yes absolutely we've been through some stuff (laughs) oh boy so let's let's start with our scry and buy okie doke where do we want to scry first cat (laughs) i feel like you have the exciting stuff Okay, yeah. So I've got some exciting and also emotionally taxing stuff. Um, So for the holidays, I did a lot of stuff. I am like going all the way back to Thanksgiving for this. Um, The first thing I did like for the Thanksgiving holidays was visit my little sister in L.A., Um, And I had Thanksgiving with my family out there who I've got a bunch of cousins out there and uh, my sister lives out there. And so occasionally, like now it's like once every two or three years, I've gone out there to do Thanksgiving. Um, Sure. And uh, this year, while I was there, I also got to record some one-shot episodes with some really great people. I met the System Mastery dudes who are from San Diego, and they were cool enough. Hey, you love them. Yeah, I do love those dudes. Uh, If you know me and like don't follow me on Twitter or something and don't know that I'm into System Mastery, System Mastery is a podcast uh, where they review old, terrible role-playing games. Uh, Their rule is they don't uh, review anything that somebody could be financially dependent on. So like nothing by like a new creator or that's like currently in print and they could damage their reputation. But it's a lot of games like stretching back to the late 70s and up through the 90s that they review. And most of these games are just terrible. And these two guys, I, I it's like the car talk of role playing games. Yeah. Um, they make a bunch of like stupid, dumb jokes, and I really appreciate them for it. And they were nice enough to like drive up and say hi to me. And on that same episode, I got to record with John Rogers, who, uh, for folks who don't know, uh, has produced a bunch of nerdy television shows. Uh, he did Leverage. Uh, he's currently doing The Librarians. Um, and it was just announced that he's going to be adapting The King Killer Chronicles alongside Lin Manuel Miranda, uh, which is like pretty, pretty nuts. Um, but you got to, and- I didn't know that you guys got to hang. That's cool. Yeah. He actually he did the Triniton episode of One Shot. Oh, cool. Very cool. He has said some very nice things about uh, campaign and cats GMing on Twitter. Um, mm. He also created the Jackie Chan Adventures cartoon series. Yes. 
so it was like it was a thrill to meet this dude um in person and yeah like, we love him <laughs> i just i i adore this guy's work uh he told me about some things that he's like working on uh to come out within the next couple of years and i am very very excited about them and it's also it's amazing to meet somebody who like i can find his work on hulu i can find his work on netflix uh cat and i at various times in his life have like watched his television shows and he listens to our show <laughs> He like is a listener for campaign. He I'm keeps glad that makes you feel good. It. <laughs> it, uh, I mean, it's it's neat. It's uh, I I find it neat anytime somebody who I respect like also consumes the thing that I do. Uh, it totally, always totally. amazes me. Yeah, I don't think it's bad or anything that you do. I think it's really it's genuinely interesting that it's a because I, I think that that's a common that's a common thing i mean it, it yes yes it is a common thing it's it's sort of like i don't know that that's always been the separation between our philosophies is uh i look at a phenomenon and go that's amazing and you look at a phenomenon and go yes that is the way the world works yep <laughs> but also, uh, when I was out there, I got to record a show with some of my favorite comics people, uh, Molly Yay. Ostertag and Noelle Stevenson. That's uh, as as we are recording this, that's right now premiering on the One Shot Network. And we did a game of masks and it was just unbelievably enjoyable. And those those guys are all really great. I suggest everybody go out and uh, read their comics uh, consume the media that they put out there because they are such nice people and they make such great things. Um, so, oh, and finally, I guess I was, I guested on an episode of Game the Game for Geek and Sundry and I got to see their amazing facility. Cat, they have like a gigantic warehouse and like four sets in that warehouse and they probably only use like a quarter of it. Like, wow. It's just huge. It's enormous. And I am certain one of their cameras costs like the net worth of one shot. Oh, sure. I'm positive. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> bananas because they, they record out of the Lionsgate digital media studio. Oh, um, cool. So like you, I get to walk through there and see a lot of the crazy things that they have on display there. Like they have one of the helmets from Power Rangers, from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, just like there with one of the original scripts for Power Rangers. And it's just like, that's bananas. It's it's yeah. a really cool building and cool space. Um, and Ivan is a really nice person. And we played Tiny Epic Western for that show, which is one of the most complicated uh, work replacement games that I have ever played. And like, I have played, God, what is it? Archipelago um, and some others. And it, it's just like, it's such a small game, but within it was, there were multitudes that it completely overwhelmed me, but it was mm -hmm. such a fun experience. And my little sister and girlfriend got to make fun of me for having to dance on camera Every time they get a subscriber, they they force everybody there to dance. So uh, that that was fun, um, and that was my Thanksgiving. And then for Christmas, we went on a family vacation to Antarctica, which is uh, just a really cool experience. Um, we went because my mother has always wanted to go, and we did that because over like over a year ago. Um, 
maybe almost two years now, uh, my mother was diagnosed with like a very, very advanced stage of cancer, um, of lung cancer, which is crazy, was crazy to us because she does not smoke and like probably smoked once or twice when she was 17. Um, so it was sort of out of nowhere and it was just so far along in the process, like, we didn't even get to learn, like, get the lecture from the doctor of what stage of cancer it might be because, like, it had metastasized to bone and it was just like, she's probably going to die in a couple of months. Yeah. And it was a reeling shock to us. Uh, however, there is a medication that affects specifically the genetic coding of cancer that my mom came down with uh, that stops it from growing, that uh, disables its ability to grow and can actually shrink it. And for a while, this medication was working phenomenally. She was seeing, she, she like saw 60% reduction in her tumor within the first couple months. And the visible tumor actually disappeared just through her taking this one a day medication uh, after like a good I want to say almost 11 months of treatment, uh, which was amazing. Like, you know, it took a situation where we were going to lose her, uh, you know, in a very short period of time and gave us another full year uh, with her. And then the cancer that she had mutated. Um, And thankfully, (laughs) it, it, it mutated in like a good way. And it's actually still treatable with another version of this medication. But when we got that news, we we didn't know. We just knew that, that it had mutated and the medication that we were using was no longer going to work. And so we planned this trip. We were like, we're going to take advantage of this time that we have together and we're going to do something that the mom has always wanted to do. And so we took this trip to Antarctica and it was like a crazy trip and Antarctica is a beautiful place um and I got to see so many penguins uh, I got to see the craziest looking icebergs like I've seen like icebergs in Chicago you know because like the lake will freeze up sure but sure sure this is like the size of buildings. It, it's crazy how they would tower over you. It's like kind of cool and scary. And Antar- Antarctica is like such a serene place. There's so little sound there when you're not around penguins. Like it's just very isolating and meditative and neat. Um, and it was an amazing experience that I will never forget. And one that I'm really grateful that that I got to do. So like, yeah, I, I've been dealing with that and, uh, you know, coming back, uh, have, having had the election happen, you know, we're, we're also looking at the fact that, uh, you know, Obamacare is right now on a fast track for repeal without a replacement. Um, which right. means there's a very real chance that my mother will no longer qualify for insurance. Um, yeah, which, as this medication is still working, um, there is a chance that she will, that it will not be reasonable for her to like be able to afford it because she'll have to pay out of pocket. Um, which is which is a scary thing that that we're looking at together as a family, um, and we're 
watching that together and like i i've mentioned this before i went on the trip when i did a periscope uh to talk to everybody about where i was going and and why i was going there and um this has been tough for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons but you know it's it puts a human face to sort of the the struggles that people are looking at right now with with this new president and with this new congress and if I have been emotional for people, if I have been like uh, very outwardly aggressive about uh, politics, um, that is one of the major reasons why. That's interesting because you've always been really politically outward and aggressive the whole time that I've known you. Uh, it, it's true. I have actually felt that when it, when it, we first moved to Chicago together, I was a political canvasser. I worked for the Human Rights Campaign, which is a gay rights lobby of suspect effect and reputation. But I worked for a year trying to raise money on the streets for this organization um, through a pretty bad winter uh, that Chicago had, like one of our worst snow winters, like since I have ever since I've been here. We had a snowstorm that shut down the city for two days. That's right. And our, our car. Oh, never mind. Keep going. Yeah, we had that <laughs> wonderful just reminded of that thing with snow our car. day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it okay. was, you know, oh, that snow day was rad. Uh, but working as a canvasser was not rad. Um, <laughs> and it made me severely depressed for a long time. Uh, like very, very dramatically depressed to the point where I sort of lost interest in, in the things that, that normally made me happy and it made me question a lot of things in life. And it, I think, took a huge toll on who I was politically. And I think after I left that job, I really withdrew from that part of myself for mm. a long time. Like, I've always been a liberal. I always voted in every election. Um, but... I, I, I wasn't volunteering for political candidates. And to a certain extent, you know, my perspective was, well, I'm not needed. Obama is president right now and uh, things are not going perfectly. He's being obstructed at every turn. But like all I can do right now is vote. Sure, sure. And, you know, after this election for so many reasons, not just because of my mother and not just because people that I know are being threatened, but for so many reasons, I am becoming so much more vocal, so much more active, calling representatives every day, encouraging other people to do so, uh, looking forward to the 2018 midterm elections. Um, and it, it's just... <sighs> I have been focusing on other things. I've been focusing on growing my business. I've been focusing on, you know, finding a, a partner for, for my life, finding somebody to marry and settle down with. And all of a sudden Ew. I have been, hey, that's life though. Gross. Uh, all of a sudden I have been thrust back into politics. And like part of me enjoys it because like- I was I, hoping. I was, I was hoping that a small part of you didn't, I hate this. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to hate it the entire time that I'm very actively doing it. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to be very actively doing it this whole time. But I was hoping that, like, for you, it would be it would be a little fun. I mean, at a certain point, there I do like talking to people and encouraging them to believe that they can make a difference. Right. I I like. I mean, somebody 
sent me an email after the election. Yeah, yeah. After the, before the election day, but uh, after like early voting had opened up to tell me that they had voted for the first time and they had voted for the first time because I was talking about it on one shot. Right. And, you know, that makes me feel good. It makes me feel good when I can be in a position where I can encourage people to do things that they believe in and do things that are in their best self-interest. Um, and that's one of the things that I like about democracy in general is <laughs> is that you take on stewardship for for your own life and uh you're responsible for like you know making sure that the right leaders get into the right place um i really really dig that but you know a, a lot of what we're doing now is is for survival i'm doing it because people are going to die i'm doing it because people are going to lose their jobs i'm doing it because the planet is in danger um, and that, that doesn't feel good. And that is the largest part of, of what I'm feeling, um, these days when, when I talk about it or when I make those calls and it, it's a very rare opportunity where I feel glimmers of hope. Um, right. so it's, I, I, it's not even a mixed bag. It's like a dark cloud with a tiny, tiny silver lining. Sure. Sure. Um, so that's that's my scry. Okay. I think. Yeah. Um so I guess I guess if we're it's it's odd the way that we're talking about um election stuff. But uh man so like if we're starting back at Thanksgiving, I didn't go home. I don't often go home. Um but uh, that was right right after election stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got completely taken out of commission for like about two weeks after um, after the election. And uh, by taken out of commission, I mean that I had migraines at what in 14 days terms would be a six. So or what I think of as like a nine or a 10. So the the highest possible thing that I can get just immense pain. And I couldn't do anything. It's the only time that my medicine has not worked. Um, oh, and wow. I've since talked to my doctor. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it was just kind of like I, um my migraines are stress triggered i know that um it's the thing that i've known for a long <laughs> wonderful um because like we've been through the foods and i eat a diet i um a low tyramine diet that uh um you know positively affects my body and sets me up to not get migraines um it, it cuts a lot of what one assumes would be triggers for me or potential triggers completely out of my diet. And I haven't really felt the need to reintroduce anything but like cheddar cheese. Um, um, which I can handle and is not a trigger for me in case you guys are wondering about where I stand on cheddar cheese. Yeah. Um, I can't believe it or not. I am deeply concerned about with whether or not you can have cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I had, oh, I had some mozzarella yesterday, and then I got a whopper of a migraine. No! Damn it, no! Not mozzarella! (laughs) Not mozzarella, no! Um, But basically, I I can't have fermented or aged things at all. Um, 
that's kind of what a low tyramine diet is. Um, it just a lot of fresh stuff. So, so now I eat a lot of fish and rice, which is kind of what I grew up eating. So this is fine. Oh, that's, uh, that's good. Yeah. It's nice for me. Um, anyway, um, there are like things you do to manage stress and, uh, stuff I've been trying to get decent at. Um, but like stress is my main migraine trigger and it's a very difficult thing to just get a handle of, especially cause we're kind of, at least I am outside of the, the raw structure of capitalism and I'm trying to make ends meet doing a bunch of zany, zany cat stuff, <laughs> but it means I'm juggling a lot, um, that it, nothing, I can't turn off my brain often. You know, um, right. So like relaxing is very difficult. Um, and, uh, lots of little things like my, <laughs> lots of little things like my migraines and depression, um, do things like push out and hinder the main piece of work that I get out, which is campaign. Um, and that stresses me the fuck out. So then it just like spirals, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, back to specifically this time period, um, yeah, the election completely wiped me out. Um, and in talking to my doctor after, because I was like, hey, this is the first time that the meds have not worked. It just didn't work at all. And uh, he was like, yeah, that was really normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? Yeah. That for his patients, for the people of the migraine clinic, a lot of people were completely wiped out by the election results, which... Imagine what that means for people who don't outwardly express their pain or who don't express their stress through <sighs> chronic pain. You know, just imagine like what everyone's going through. Well, um, I God, I know. <laughs> oh, I mean, we know, but but yeah. right, just the um, I've been I've been this whole winter has been like it's never great for depression, but I've been managing my depression a long time. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm trying to manage my migraines, um, this is in—it's way more frequent than it should be, um, and we have upped my medicine, um, and we're trying to. I lost my insurance briefly; it's back now, but I didn't have access to like sleep pills or anything, so that there are things that can be done. But in general, um, when you're doing activism and dealing with stressful things, you're supposed to be also doing a lot of self-care because, my God your body doesn't handle this well. And I have really, I have very real signs that my body isn't handling it well. Um, just because I'm getting very frequent migraines. Right. Oh God. Um, but that's, so that was like, that was like just immediately post that. Um, and then, uh, the next like event, um, I I went home for the first time in years um, to see my family before Christmas, like December thirteenth or something around mm-hmm. then. Um, and it was it was not the worst, you know. Hey, wow, that's right? enormous. Nobody I listening know. knows that's enormous. <laughs> that's I didn't cry for negative reasons. Um, so that's like you cried for positive reasons instead. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's unavoidable. Um, my my mother and I are exceptionally dramatic people. <laughs> they're they're just two fainting couches <laughs> set up next to each other. 
that's be nice. how they communicate. <laughs> um, but that's that's really fair. Um, yeah, and and it, not not crying was a big one. And <laughs> I got to I got to see my little brother. Um, he's six years younger than me, and in his final year of um, college, and. Uh, uh, he had Overwatch for the Xbox, so we played a bunch of Overwatch. Um, and Rad. he pl- and he made Sombra. It's so and he's good at her. It's really cool. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I've only seen like seeing JPC play Reaper. I've only seen one person who is good at a character that I've like been able to watch. So it's cool that you were able to be like be in the room with somebody who's good at Overwatch. I don't know. <laughs> as they were well, playing he's not he's not good at all of it he's good at sombra he's good at sombra i mean but that's uh, you only need to be good at one character yep. you don't need to be well-rounded nope um it was really it was very fun to play with him we just had like nights where we were team talon um um that was that um and post that it's been i've been You've been traveling around and doing a lot of fancy stuff. I've just been holding down the fort here and doing doing work and trying not to be hurt. Um, um, one of the ways that I have been... I don't watch a lot of stuff. I watched Westworld. I caught up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I quite... I don't know. Quite enjoyed it is not correct. Um, because I didn't... I watched it over like three or four days. Um, Mm -hmm. and I can't say that I was, I knew that it was a prequel season, so I was willing to give it the entire season, but I wasn't sold until the final episode, which for many people is like the worst episode. Like what? Oh, wow. Interesting. The rest of the series was garbage, but this, I can get behind this. Um, I, yeah, I haven't got a chance to see it yet. I don't have any access to like HBO stuff, um, but I've heard good things about it. Yeah. That's, um, some of the performances I think are really phenomenal and, I mean, it's about it's about AI rights and a and a LARP, you know, and yeah. um, right. It like it's the sort of I started watching it because it was people managing a a LARP and a, a LARP that's about indulging white male power fantasies. Mm, okay. Um, and I was just like, oh, okay, this will you know because it it obviously isn't going to um the show can't be about that and like painting that in a positive light so i'm interested in how they tell this story because if you've if you've seen the old movie westworld the robots rise up you know that it's not a they don't quite do that then they just kill people yul brenner kills a lot of people um but uh it's it's not about it's a show about the robots and and people but um, you know, I will say, ba- based on the reviews uh, and reactions that I've heard from people, I literally have no idea what that show is about. Oh, interesting. Because <laughs> like, I felt like I knew exactly what it was going in when I heard the premise that it was, um, you know, that it was a, an Old West LARP um, with primarily run by AI um, who are extremely human-like um androids wow nope this is <laughs> this is the okay. first time the only thing i've heard is Westworld and people's <laughs> reactions to it 
<laughs> That's amazing. I have been trying to reverse engineer what the show could possibly be based okay, on based on reviews. So knowing just that, I was like, well, I know what this show is. You know, like you know what it has to be, right? Um, and uh, they do an okay job of it. There are some, th- there are a lot of things that I really wish they did better. But um, I'm on board for season two, which isn't happening for like another two years or something. Of course. Um. <sighs> And then uh, the, so like that's kind of, if I watch a thing, it's to John and I pick something that's already done and then we watch it together um, in kind of short bursts when, bursts when we have the time. I don't watch a lot of stuff. I don't have time. But the thing that I've been doing to try to chill myself out is watching a lot of Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. The new series, Sun and Moon, not the game, but the show, really, really good. They, um, they're... They have a new animation style um, from a new animation program that they've been that they were learning during X, Y, and Z, um, which is the previous Pokemon series. Because there's something like seventeen, maybe nineteen different series of Pokemon at this point. There are a lot. Um, I think that's about right because Pokemon turned twenty this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, or last year, I guess. And. Uh, the new animation style is so cute. It's it's all it's really good at squash and stretch and it lets things be extremely expressive, which means the voice actors can go crazy and then they animate the hell out of um uh it's 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 really, really fun. And it's um if if you if you like me, watch Pokemon. Um <laughs> Uh, the previous series, uh, X Y and X Y Z, uh, like X Y and Z, that they were, they were cool. They were fine, um, but they were like took themselves very seriously. It, there was a major, major world plot, um, like big kid stuff that's kind of semi-apocalyptic that Ash needs to go do. Um, amidst all of our other fun stuff, and none of that is true, and pokemon sun and moon it's like (laughs) it's the chillest happiest thing he just wants to go on this island adventure um and he's in school and it's so cute to see him like be animated like a 10 year old and hang out with a bunch of kids around that age um and team rockets just tippity tops um so that's what i do to comfort myself i watch pokemon i mean that's rad uh mel right now because it's on netflix is going through uh pokemon xy um the the series there and netflix just carries the dub no Uh, so i mean we need to get into this oh Uh, no First of all, opinion one, Pokemon XY series is trash. No, it's not. Oh, yes, my God. it is. Yes, it is. Because the characters that Ash hangs out with, and this is in addition to Ash, are insufferable. Uh, especially oh, he, the other boy. You don't boy. like the, the inventor boy? You don't like him? No, he's the worst. He is oh. terrible. Fascinating. I and maybe th- this could easily be a voice actor issue. This could be a voice issue because in that show they obviously Jesse and James are in this series. Um and Jesse's voice actor and Meowth's voice actor are very good. Neither of them are the originals, but like they are really doing a good job at sounding like but you know not not 
doing an impression of like yeah owning their own version of those characters meowth still has his ridiculous accent jesse still has her accent because she was going in with like uh basically a lady's transatlantic accent like she had this very high class accent which is really fun um so those two are great but james james's voice actor for xy is terrible and even though like objectively the character has the same personality he does the things that james would do like there's nothing that i could look at this character in xy and go that's out of character james wouldn't be like that he's still the same james but he sounds like trash Okay, so you can't do it for that reason. Well, but that's the... So I was about to make the... I have nothing against dubs. I think dubs are... Can and I, should be made lovely. and they're they wonderful. They can be great. They, they can, can be, be great. really great. Yes, but Pokemon XY it's kind of, is kind of notorious for being terrible. I've Since I've found out. Since I watched an episode in English while trying to um, relax and eat recently. And I went, what the hell is... What the hell? <laughs> and then... Um, went to the internet and people were like, yes, this is renowned as a terrible example of dubbing. Um, Because it's like, in Japanese, everybody has their original voice actors still. Right. They're all really good. Musashi and Kojiro are still Lena and Gowry. You know, that's never changed. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Satoshi has the cutest voice. Satoshi's Ash. Um, Like, I really love his voice. And they do such a cool job with the intros and outros because it's it's usually them singing. Um, not the and case. All of the voice actors. Not the <laughs> not case the with case. the dub. <laughs> that sucks. And, like their voices are really cool, and I love the songs. They totally put everything together. And it, uh, but the the main the main thing aside from the voices, just I think in terms of really nailing the characters, um, which is apparently like. That's base level. Base level, you have to do a good job of nailing the characters, which it seems like it's not doing. Um, But the soundtrack is complete garbage. The soundtrack is complete garbage. And, like, I don't... As someone who watches Pokemon, I don't like watching Pokemon battle. Um, The new new series, Sun and Moon, is changing that a bit because the animation style is so fun that it's cool to see them do stuff. But... um, past series like i tend to skip forward through the pokemon battles unless um i think there's going to be a cool conversation happening mid midway through the battle and the um like the the soundtrack really complements it so that i can just treat it like a music video you know see that's really really interesting um your expectations of pokemon based on like watching it uh the way you've watched it because my criteria for like what makes a good Pokemon series is really bizarre. It's bizarre criteria because looking back at it on every series of Pokemon that I have seen, none of them have been good. Like none of them have been good. And literally <laughs> the only enjoyable thing in watching a Pokemon series is Jesse and James and what they're up to. Yes, Any so t- which is why it's so disappointing to me that X and Y isn't good for you because X and Y brought back them doing lots of costume changes. It brought back fear hugs. It brought back so much stuff that had been missing for them characters that is like the stuff that drew me into them in the first place. 
Um, and in one of the Japanese intros, they even have James Cross dressing again. And, like, they just don't do that in the series anymore. Um, and, uh, well, I like, mean... and X and Y and, like, Jessie's contests and all of that, her, her whole, um, her, her quest to be Kalos queen, um... Mm-hmm. Ah, all of that stuff is so cool. Well, um, but but like you're, well, I think one thing I have not watched too many Pokemon series. I have watched okay. like a handful of Pokemon series, so that was never gone for me. And if that was gone for me, I am sure I would be talking in much more dramatic tones about how how much they were fucking up Pokemon. But <laughs> sure. again, my one criteria for Pokemon being good is. Are Jesse and James Are, on screen? And if so, for how long? Good, right? That's, that's <laughs> God for me, too. This week's Pokemon Pokemon comes out on Thursdays, and I watched it yesterday, and there was no Team Rocket. And I was just like, why am I watching this? It was not good. God, I really wish I had time to like do a blog about Pokemon. It's like, this episode of Pokemon was really good. It had a 21-minute runtime and team rocket was on screen for six minutes <laughs> five stars that That's would be amazing. it so That's really yeah, good the music and the sound effects um have never been like a part of it for me uh i am always fascinated especially in the english dubs uh the voices by the voices for the pokemon oh um, yeah they because- sound really good in japanese I always I mean, believe them. I, I don't know if they change them or not. Uh, I suspect that they don't because sometimes the, a Pokemon will say its name and other times, from my perspective, it just feels like the Pokemon is groaning. But what? I suspect that is the Japanese name being said and I am not getting that. Oh, I doubt that. No, I, I don't think that is true. I think they redo all of the... the I think they redo everything. That's bananas. Man, man, that's bananas. Cat, that's so crazy. That's so incredibly crazy. I, I love it. I, I don't know whose decision it is, uh, what producer has to be like, no, this Pokemon should say his name, and this Pokemon should grunt. <laughs> it's like, there's somebody, that's their job. That's their job. They are the authority on that. When they do the casting, they go to this guy, they show him a picture of the Pokemon, and they go, is this a grunter or <laughs> a talker? A <laughs> uh, well, the, the other thing with voice acting that completely took me out of it when I was trying to watch it is that, like, it's not only did the voice actors not get the characters, but, like, I don't know what was going on with the direction, because... <sighs> if we just take the Pokemon battle, for example, in Japanese, during a Pokemon battle... Satoshi's voice actor, Ash, is going to get, like, gravelly, and he's going to, like, raise his volume really high and do an anime, you know, like, he he gets really into it. Um, And that's the most enjoyable part of that particular voice actor's acting for me. Like, he's an adorable, adorable voice actor, but, like, I really, really like how, um, how the, he brings the intensity um, and mm-hmm. so do the Pokemon. Their their voices and stuff that they're they're really intense too. And uh, coming over to the dub, there was none of that intensity, none of it. <laughs> like all of the direction completely underscored things, and it was people being like, "Wow, Pikachu's really excited." 
And it's like, the, <laughs> what? That that coming over from a thing where I'm used to people going, as they charge forward, you know? And then him being like, Ike! For go, you know? And, like, it's just, it's just unfathomable to me that, <laughs> that they would put so... It feels like so... It almost feels like so little effort, and on the, uh, the other hand, it feels like so much effort into making this dub shitty. Man, it's so interesting, too, like, going back to the original Pokemon series, like, the first thing ported over, and thinking about how the Jesse and James, for the English dub, realized, oh, we're the only fun characters, Mm-hmm. Because they're the only voice actor, I think maybe Brock a little bit, maybe Brock a little bit, who seem like they're having any fun on yeah, that show. Yeah, that's true. Everyone else is phoning in those roles and making a paycheck. But <laughs> Meowth, like the voice actor for Meowth fucking brought it. And like Meowth mm-hmm. had a crazy amount of character and was incredibly charismatic and I think Jesse and James at first were a little bit stunted, but like come time for the Pokemon movie, those voice actors were in those roles and those roles were really like interesting and fun to watch, even in the English version. Sure. Agreed. I mean, that would be difficult to get that wrong. Um, originally, Pokemon was supposed to be about Jesse um, and follow the show it, it, and follow her adventures um, as she tries to hunt down her mom. Who is who got lost twenty years ago um, when she went to she her mom worked for Team Rocket um, and went to go try to get cloning samples of Mew um, and uh, got lost during that expedition and is presumed dead. Um, so, like the way that Pokemon was originally pitched was the Team Rocket show. And, uh, yeah, it was all about specifically Jesse. And then James and Yowth were like, um, supporting her, but also one of her, one of her obstacles along the way was their incompetence. Um, right. Um, but these characters have these really complex backstories, uh, that if you notice, no one else does. (laughs) Like if you think it's about so it, true. yeah, like Ash doesn't have that, and in the early Misty things before they that. got comfortable, Misty does. Uh, Misty does, and I like Brock's backstory too. Like they they put in the work there. They got. Oh, there. I don't. But I don't know Brock's backstory. I thought his, like, like his perversion like billion grew brothers skin and sisters and didn't no, have eyes. No, no, Brock's cool. Takeshi's cool. Okay, um, wait, 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 wait. Let let me take a guess at Brock's backstory. Brock. Uh, was cursed by a demon <laughs> uh, to have his eyes removed because his one his pleasure was to like ogle that. people. Oh, his whole <laughs> um, family had their eyes removed by demons. Okay, great. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, in later se- series, they get really cool with going, you know what? We don't need to even look at the main kids with for this episode while we explore James's old mansion. Um, because they stumble into his mansions all the time. For those that don't know, James Kojiro is extremely rich, um, but he can't. He doesn't have access to his family's fortune because they are extremely abusive, and he ran away from home as a result of that abuse. Um, and uh, 
But sometimes when they're in a different region, they will run into, end quote, a summer cottage. And it's like a a fucking beautiful mansion. Um, And he'll be like, man, I hope my parents aren't here. And then they'll go in and his parents won't be there and it'll be a servant. And he'll temporarily get to be in like old memory land land. Um, Oh, be we where he and the rest of Team Rocket deserve to be. Yeah, for real. In the lap like, there's of luxury. this one really, really cute one where they got to relax for five minutes. So you see, like, Jesse chilling and reading a magazine, and Meowth is playing um, video games with Wobbuffet. And it's just like, oh, that's all I want for them. I just want them to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's all they want for them. Um, and, uh, but, like, during things like that, they won't even have the camera. They'll completely divorce it from the the main kids. Right. They'll have the main kids come in at the very start of the episode and be like, man, I wonder what we're getting off to today. Wow, that looks really interesting. And wander off screen. And then the camera will stick around and Team Rocket or walk in. And then we'll yes. stick with Team Rocket for the rest of the thing. And then catch back up with what uh, the kids did at the very end of the episode. You know, so like, but they didn't, they weren't always like that. In the original one, when we get into James's first backstory, for some reason, Ash and Misty and Brock are there. And, like, it's unfathomable that they they just witness his family continuing to abuse him and they don't step in. They're just they just provide peanut gallery, peanut gallery commentary. Um, Fuck those goddamn (laughs) villains. And uh, but it's it's fascinating because you can see like where we have these complex characters that we developed because originally we thought the series was going to be that. And then we realized that it might be kind of difficult to tell this extremely woman centric story um about this 25 year old looking for her mom for an evil organization and still have young kids really invested and do the necessary world building i can see why they didn't go for it um god the alternate universe cat where that was the pokemon series that came to united states and took the world by storm oh think about it i know but then we'd all be like way more comfortable with evil um and Ash is a pretty good boy. Um, as dumb as he is. Is he? Sweet good I don't boy. know. He really is. No, he is. Um, I've been watching this kid for a long time. He's a good boy. He's just an idiot. Um, he, like, recently almost broke Professor Kukli's, um washing machine because he put the entire box of detergent in while trying to wash his clothes. And it's like, buddy. He is a menace. Buddy, come on. Um, uh, but they made Ash to... So that you'd have a point of view, and it's probably suited the series a lot better. Uh, I don't know, because here are my reviews of those Pokemon episodes (laughs) that focus just on Team Rocket. An almost perfect episode of Pokemon, (laughs) except for a couple dark spots around (laughs) two and a half minutes where Team Rocket wasn't on screen. Yep, yep. No, that's how I feel about Pokemon as well, but I don't hate Satoshi. (laughs) <laughs> because I also feel like um, I doubt that James and Meowth would have gotten to have been as competent as they are and as sweet um, for a long time because we would have needed their incompetence to act as a villain. And I like all three of them being on equal footing with each other. That li- that little family is so important to me. And as much as Musashi is my favorite character, like Nyasu's close second and third is immediately kojiro and they're like eons above everybody else right oh yeah totally anyway all right so that that was pokemon that's pokemon 
Uh, so I think it's time for our buys. Ooh. So, I mean, I've bought so much in the meantime. Uh, like, there, there have just been, like, so many opportunities where, like, I've bought gifts for people. I've received gifts um, that my mind is, like, sort of blurring over. Very recently, my girlfriend Mel came to me uh, because we record in our home, like, often for one shot. And she came to me after a recent recording and was like, hey, uh, I am kind of feeling left out. And Mel has been on one shot episode or, or two one shot episodes in the past. Uh, but she also is not quite comfortable with RPGs yet. I think she did a great job. Like, especially if you go back and listen to that Cosmic Patrol episode, she fucking kills it there. I really, really enjoy the character that she plays. But one of the things that she struggles with the most is having an idea on the spot, like thinking of an idea on the spot and speaking as a character. Sure. And like, if you think about role playing, like that is a huge part of what role playing is to a lot of people and especially to the style of play that like I normally enjoy. So, you know, we, we talked about it and I was like, Hey, how would you feel about just playing Dungeons and Dragons, like classic fantasy oriented Dungeons and Dragons together and just doing it, the two of us one-on-one -on -one, so that you can like learn how all of this works and like to start to feel comfortable with it. Uh, and I looked around and for some reason could not find any of my fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons books. And I really wanted it to be fifth edition because fifth edition has like stripped out a lot of the complexity of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's still mechanics focused and combat focused the way D&D &D is. It's not like Dungeon World where there's a lot of pressure for constant creativity. Uh, sure. You can sink back <laughs> into mechanics and like think, okay, I swing my sword at it and have that be like a satisfying, successful action. So I wanted Dungeons and Dragons and I wanted 5th edition, but I couldn't find my 5th edition books. So I just bought 5th edition again. And I have really been like, we've played one session so far next week. I'm going to have her play an, another session. Um, and it, it's just been really enjoyable and fun. I am doing something that I have never done before, and I am using the traditional experience system. Wow. Like, I, I am guess Steven tried and then gave up. It's it's so hard. It's so hard. And I am, I'm not using the treasure reward system. Sure. Partially because I don't have my DMG. I have no idea where it went. And like it was another $40 book that I was like... I'm just getting the monster manual in the player's handbook. Well, I have a play, uh, monster manual, so you can use that. Uh, a DMG? That's the thing. A DMG, yeah. 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 I, I definitely... Which it, might, it might even be yours, but it, it just has a lot of my notation marks in it. And I'm like, what? I think you had a DMG. Like, I know that for a short time you did have my fifth edition books. Sure. But I thought you then got your own. Yeah. Um, and, and mine also would have gone up to the studio. Whatever. Something happened to your books. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, I was keeping my books in the studio for a while, but I thought I picked them up. And I, I have no idea what happened to them, but I've got these new books now. And you can use my DMG because I'm not playing 5th edition. Yeah, yeah. And and so, like, it's 
it, it's just been fun. I've been trying to immerse myself in it's not an OSR style, but it's like I want to use more of the random tables. Like um, I'm using this as a space to experiment a little bit. Um because I, I just uh it's the style of play that's gonna work best for Mel is different than the style of play that I normally grok. Uh mm-hmm. so I'm I'm excited about that. And I, I really like her character. She's chosen to be a dragonborn ranger um and she has like so many different plot hooks on her character sheet um she's got like she's a dragonborn ranger who's like really good at hunting beasts but she also chose as her background charlatan which like (laughs) really threw me for a loop uh she's got an intelligence of eight and like I was forming this picture of the character in my head and it's like, okay, let's pick your background. And she's like, oh uh, yeah, I really like charlatan. And I'm like, you're, you're playing a con man. You're playing a con man with an intelligence of eight. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just interesting. It's like an interesting character and like an interesting challenge that I'm sort of sinking my teeth into uh, doing one-on-one play because it is hard not to kill someone. Uh, I I leveled her I I made her do enough things that she leveled up after our first session because man first level characters in 5th edition are very squishy. If you guys if she ever wants to have a spellcaster on her party temporarily be someone from her backstory I I would love to to come play a more serious combat thing. You know that you know that that is a preferred style of play for me that I never get to do anymore. Yeah, I, I would. I'm sure she would love that. Uh, but it's yeah, it's all whatever is in Mel's comfort zone. And if she wants to, because I'd want to play a, a spellcaster that's um, all about um, more or less terrain control. That's what I like to do. Ooh, okay, interesting. We haven't broken out the grid yet, mainly because my gaming table is just covered in garbage Your right now gaming table is a grid so yeah no i just like everything that <laughs> on top of all the leaves is just trash that's gotcha. our lives it's like mail and <laughs> bills Ew. and just stuff so i gotta just, i gotta clean i want to play off. a gnomish illusionist who's all about terrain control Kat, you know you can't be a gnome uh yeah i feel like i am a gnome so yeah but gnomes in the setting that i run all my games no are you're evil not playing that setting damn it why are you doing that because that's the setting i like to play in and because gnomes are trash i you're the did, worst did you learn Fine, I'll, did you I'll be... did you know that the canon background the accepted canon background in D is that garl glitter gold Trap no, I know the kobolds I know. To... god. I know they're terrible. Eternally, as a prank. You know that I like playing kind of morally nebulous characters. I know gnomes are trash. Oh well, don't worry, cat, because it's not morally nebulous. Gnomes are In garbage. They're garbage, evil people. <laughs> well, if I can't play a gnome, then I just want to play something that's fae related in some capacity. But... Oh yeah. They're fate all but over this setting. But I love playing gnomes because that's, I don't know, that's why I like them because they're dicks. They're they're little dicks. They're, they're trash. They are. <laughs> they're complete garbage. 
Um, um, oh man, that's the other uh, the other buy. I, I'm sorry for that. This buy is like a huge plug for D and D. They they really need the goddamn help, you guys. <laughs> um, but I picked up uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters. Uh, oh, cool! Which is, I think, one of my favorite supplements for Dungeons and Dragons. Like overall, period. Uh, it is. It, like the pitch for it is kind of ambitious because it's sort of an in-universe guide to monsters that gives you like a deeper dive on some of the lore and plays around with that a little bit more. There are mechanics in there, but it's mostly a storytelling tool. Uh, I think they backed off of that ambition quite a bit in the final product uh, mm. because there's so much of it that feels like a boring game supplement. But there's a lot of really fun, good information in Volo's Guide to Monsters. So I've been having a lot of fun with that. There's like a chapter on kobolds, which like, hey, it's very much like it was Team Rocket on screen. Uh, Are kobolds (laughs) featured and talked about? It's a good D&D book. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So I have a question. So Mm -hmm. when you were kind of talking about this, um, it sounded basically like, they wanted it to be top sales work or like Pliny the Elder's work on um Yes. On exploring. That's what it is? Okay. That's uh, what it's no. supposed to be. It's God. So Volo is the person who put together the monster manual. That is mm-hmm. what we're supposed to believe in the universe. And this is kind of supposed to be his book. But also, like, if you read the entry on Kobolds in the Monster Manual. And even the stat entries on kobolds later on in the book, like what they say about kobolds is kobolds are inherently selfish and cowardly, but they can be dangerous in groups because they have each other's back. However, if you read the information that he writes down about kobolds in the book, there's no way that scholar would have drawn the conclusion that, oh, these are inherently selfish creatures because... It, like they, he writes down in the book that this is a society that is insular and distrustful of outsiders because mm-hmm. they are often captured and enslaved. Uh, and then it names like there are a few city kobolds who like live in cities and people in the cities don't even know that they're there because they're so sneaky and they hide so well. And there are further city kobolds who have been hired to like build sewer systems, and they're fine if you if you aren't enslaving and killing them. And okay. it appears that the big ambition of these people is to free their imprisoned god. So it's less supposed to be like Pliny the Elder talking about elephants and having never seen an elephant. And just going crazy and saying that they have cold breath and are the enemies of dragons. It's not like that. It's not like that. That's the book that I want us to make. Oh, Um, okay, cool. I'm on board because I collect Top Cell and Pliny the Elder and stuff like that. I collect those sorts of of histories. Yeah, so I I was on Twitter talking with, with, with Kat and like some of our listeners earlier. And I was like, what I wanted from Volos was Pliny the Elder. And I didn't get that. So should we make it um and like i think that's i think that's a thing that we got to do that'd be really fun i'd love to do that because as i said i collect those you know i like them yeah yeah it's cat i'm so hype i want us to come up with like a couple characters who are scholars and write from their perspective on different monsters 
I love whoever's the water person. What a loser. They just walk around in a sub bubble. No, that little wizard. Damn it. Yeah, I man. I love wizards. I love them. Uh, Such nerds. I, I, I am into all of the nerds. I, I really want, I think, Kat, the person who collects and edits our monster manual is probably Inway. Ah, shoot. She'd so, be so cool. I, I want her snarky ass notes in all uh-huh. of the margins being like, this is probably garbage, but I don't have better information. So <laughs> this is what mind flayers are like, I guess. Um, cool. Uh, I love I love this magic university that set these yeah. people on this project. Uh, other thing, there is one of the scholars is somebody that I think in a way idolizes and is attracted to. Oh, I buddy. Want- I want that perspective in there. Okay. I want. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm on board for all of this. We should yes. stop talking about it, though, so people are surprised when all of this stuff happens. But, yeah, it's safe to say there will be an internal narrative to this thing as well as it just being fun. This this book is going to be good. That's <laughs> what I am telling people right now. I'm willing to announce that on air. This is going to be very good. It might not even be a book, but it will be good. Yeah. I mean, for the way that... For the way that we collect and nerd out about this stuff, I think we'll be able to make something pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for all of the illustrations. Yeah, so so those those are my major buys. I also picked up uh, Mystic Veil by AEG, which is a... It's sort of a deck builder. It is a transparent card, sort of like Gloom. Um, mm-hmm. A layering transparent card deck building about... Uh, druids who are fixing landscapes uh it's just like it's kind of neat it's just weird and neat and different and i appreciate it uh the other thing that i picked up is called shadows of malice uh which Mm. is a cooperative game um and it's supposed to be like a cooperative epic fantasy game that's procedurally generated so it's a lot like D&D, but it's a board game. Um, but there are a lot of tables and stuff, and you play out an epic fantasy game collaboratively with other people. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of interested in that concept and where that'll go. It could be good, it could be bad, but it will probably be on the stream if we get a studio back up and running. Sure. Cool. Um, my so buys? I, I'm done. Your buys. Yes, my buys. Um, so the most recent thing I bought, I purchased last night. And uh, there are two different types of uh, base layers of Under Armour. Ooh, cool. Yeah. Um, Under Armour. I am from Baltimore, where Under Armour's from. Um, and, uh, man, I'm not, I don't have a lot of, like, nationalistic tendencies or whatever Whatever the equivalent for that is for regional state. pride. Yeah, I just I'm I'm not someone who has that. But for some reason, dude, Under Armour, I'm very proud of it of the work they do. I stand by it. You've got to protect um, this house, Kat. I must protect this house. So uh, basically, I have the 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 Women's March on DC coming up at the end of the month. Um, so oh, and I'm you're going to get home. to go out for that? Yeah, yeah, I'm flying. I thought, yeah, I thought. We own a business together. You should know this, buddy. I'm flying back home for that. God, so many things. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. 
Um, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna be like hanging out with like Becky and Aiden and my mom at the march, and it should be nice. Um, but uh, I'm also concerned that it might be chilly, so I just figured I'd get a base layer. I have Eddie Bauer jeans that have flannel on the inside that are pretty warm, but I wanted to get something for my top, so I got both a just a crew neck and a mock turtleneck, depending on cold cold amounts. The cool thing about the crew is that it has thumb sleeves. Hell yeah. Right? So I, I'm a fan in. of Under Armour, too. So I, I, It's a product I stand by. Whenever I find something that I like, I'm very I'm comfortable repping it. I really like Under Armour, and I don't like Under Armour imitations. They always feel too loose to me. Mm-hmm. Whereas Under Armour is typically pretty form-fitting. And uh, since I did a lot of athletics as a teen, um, I associate that with comfort and strength. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, God, I used to wear a lot of Under Armour uh, when I was back when I was teaching parkour. And I don't know what it is about Under Armour, but I always felt more attractive in Under Armour than I did in like (laughs) any other circumstance. It was great. Yeah, it's great. It makes you feel like a superhero. Um, I also got a Fjallraven Kunkin mini day pack um, because I realized I didn't have the right size of backpack anywhere in the house. uh, because I'm going to be carting around um, a, uh, a field medic kit, basically specific to um, the, the the potential of uh, uh, what you might call them protest riots. Um, mm. So that I'm like, since I'm since I'm traveling with my mom, I was just like, yeah, I don't think anything bad's going to happen, but I I want to be able to handle tear gas if it does. Yep. Um, so I'm getting together my medic pack so that I'll be able to take care of all of the people with me. And I've been doing, um, a lot of, a lot of, um, protest medic, like reading and training, um, just so that I'll be ready for all of that in case. Um, what a world we live in. (laughs) So much fun. Um, and then, uh, my other buys that are most relevant, um, the year just turned over, which means new bullet journals. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that people can, in case you want to start a bullet journal, here's my rig. Um, I use, uh, you call them rigs? Glass. No, no, but the people call things rigs, don't they? They do. They do indeed. I just thought that was like a thing that the bullet journal community did. I don't know about the bullet journal community. You know this about me. I've never really been a part of any community of a thing that I've been interested in. Yeah, that that's true. So I use a Moleskin classic notebook, uh, large, squared, hard-covered, um, the 5 by 825 size. This is the first year in a long time that I've gotten a black notebook instead of a red notebook. Um... And then also for, uh, so I use one for like just about everything in my life. Um, and then one for gaming specifically. And the gaming notebook that I use is a Moleskine Classic Notebook, extra large, squared, soft covered, which is the seven and a half inches by 10 inch size. So like all of my campaign notes, I don't, people ask me sometimes, what apps and things do you use? And it's like, I don't use anything. I just handwrite it all in one notebook. Um, you don't have any appetizers for campaign? I don't know. No, I want you guys to have eaten beforehand or we should take a break to eat. Um, mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like dotted notebooks, which I think is cool, but I prefer 
scrap paper because probably because of gaming. I'm very comfortable with it. It also means that I can fill in the squares and I like filling in the squares. People just like graph paper. I can I can state this as a fact because <laughs> people like it. Yeah. I have I have a t-shirt that says uh dice and uh, it's pens and paper and dice and friends, which mm-hmm. is like one of those there's that formula of t-shirt that like names things and things and things and things, but it's obviously about D&D and role-playing games and I get compliment complimented on it constantly and I go, "Oh, you're a fan of D&D." And they go, "What?" So People just like it because the pen and paper and pens and dice and friends is in graph paper. Right. So people just like that there's a graph paper pattern on these words that are essentially meaningless to them. Yep. (laughs) So Um, people love graph paper. People like grids, man. They do. Grids are hot. Um, My pen of choice um, is the Sakura Micron uh, ink pen and a 0.25 millimeter black. They're typically used for like lining and inking art, but I really like them for just plain old writing. And uh, my preferred colored pens, because I do a bunch of organization um color style uh right now i am working with um another sakura pen which is uh, a 10 piece uh jelly roll uh gel ink pen set in assorted colors it's a six millimeter pen um and what do they transform you into they (laughs) if according to the package i should turn into a cute duck um but i've yet (laughs) to turn into a cute duck I, maybe I'm not using them right. Have, yeah. Have you... Here, try holding it aloft <laughs> and shouting a command word or phrase. Right. Um, yeah, they're they're cool. Jelly Roll... Um, Sakura's Jelly Roll stuff comes in so many different colors, combinations as like 10-pack sets for around 20 to 25 bucks. Um, so if you are getting into this and are like, man, I want a bunch of colors, but not for very expensive, that is a, a way I would consider doing it because I have not been disappointed with the quality of the, the ink. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. Other than Pokemon Sun and Moon, um, of which I got Moon, I, I don't buy a lot. I bought some fashion items, but I don't think anybody wants to know about those. Uh, are they cool? Are they fun? Um. I got boob sweaters, so I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah. I think I saw you wore one to New Year's, right? That was Yeah, that was just a shirt. Um, the sweaters are more the classic anime one that have like little mock turtleneck and the ribbing on them. Um, That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah. I, I get to be as trash as I am in my dreams. <laughs> um, I also got uh, like some vesters. Uh, because I found this old jean duster that I've had since I was in high school. You've seen me wear it before. Oh, I've seen you wear it. Yeah. So I, I tried that on and was like, yeah. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Blue's right. Blue's right. Um, He's very wrong, Kat. And I got myself two different vesters um, that are denim and uh, like have very different looks to them. One's like kind of punky in his phrase and the other is very refined. So we'll see how that turns out. So when are you going to get sneak and two bike collection embroidered on these vesters? We'll see. We'll see how they look. Okay. If anybody out there makes like patches or embroidery, if you will send that out, if you will make a sneak and two bike collection 
patch <laughs> will make sure that ends up somewhere. That it gets on my vester. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's everything. Did you play? Have you played Sun and Moon? Um, so I am in the middle of Sun and Moon. I have gotten past Me too. the I first haven't finished trial. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am nowhere near beating it. Uh, for Christmas, I got Mel a uh, DS so that we could play Sun and Moon together. Um, but she just has a lot more free time than me and has been outpacing me very much. And I, I really do want to catch up. Uh, but Sun and Moon moves a lot slower than other Pokemon games. And Mm. I like find myself in a situation where I'll go, Oh, I don't have time for this cutscene right now. Like I am learning important plot details and stuff that did not exist in past Pokemon games, past Pokemon games. Pokemon was a completely mindless activity, uh, where you'd like walk around, you try and catch different Pokemon, but like, you could sort of battle and like go through the motions and it was a lot more okay. meditative. Well, I guess I was going to say for me, Pokemon hasn't been that, but well, I, I guess, but I, I guess I play these games in a really, I haven't gotten through it yet because I take so long to play these games. Well, I mean, I take every opportunity to do a care sesh with my pokes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get down, pet, pet them, feed them, uh, a cream puff or whatever it is and so like at the end of that i get through like three battles and that'll take me 30 minutes so it's just like it it this game partially because of the plot partially because of all the mini game elements that are a part of it it takes me so much longer than other pokemon games have taken me and all the past Pokemon games that I've played, um, or almost all of the past Pokemon games I've played, I've played when I was not in a relationship. So mm-hmm. my only responsibility was to go home and play Pokemon. And mm-hmm. that is that is not the case. I own two small businesses, and I'm in a relationship, and I'm an adult with a day job. So Yeah. Not too much Pokemon time. Yeah, that's... Um... Uh, they they really messed up for me something that like i appreciate but i also am kind of like the sun and moon you should not have done this they gave me three ghosts real early in that cemetery (laughs) and two of them are my favorite pokemon um so i just mischievous in there yeah there's a mischievous and uh and a um and and a ghastly so like i was fucked because that's a whole third of my team that isn't getting replaced <laughs> just by two ghosts. And there's also uh, a drif- a drifloon. Um, but like a drifloon it will, will get swapped out at some point. Like when I catch mm-hmm. a Mimikyu or something, cause I'm trying to not just have ghosts and poison, but it's me. So guess what I have? I am spooling up to have an all fire party and Ooh. That might just happen. I've never done that. I've never not had a balanced Pokemon party. But I'm just like, this time, maybe I'm just going to have fire Pokemon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I typically just have poison and a ghost or two. That's So it looks <laughs> like I'm doing the same damn thing again. But I mean, with all of the double types and everything, you can you can get some diversity. And Sandalit really helped me out by being a fire type. Um, as well as poison. I really love Sandalit. Who's your so so I would say that 
in this, my my two faves are my Meowth, named Vodka, and my Miss, um, still mischievous, not a Miss Magus yet, um, named Rhubarb, who is your one or two favorites that you got? Uh, so Litten, um, mm-hmm. Def, Def a favorite there. Litten's great. I like, I'm okay with the evolved forms of Litten, but especially because they've added like petting Pokemon to these games uh-huh. now, it's really weird when you have the more anthropomorphic Pokemon. Because <laughs> it's, it's just, you're rubbing a dude at that point. He's, he's a chest. cat dude. Yeah, he's he's a cat dude, but he's a he's a dude. He's just yeah. a tiny dude. And like also also I picture my character doing this. So I'm like a 10-year-old boy like petting this massive wrestler cat's chest. Yep. It and it's just weird. It's weird. Um I think it's good. It, it's it's weird and good, but it's it's weird. Um <laughs> It's mostly weird. I'm sorry, James. That's I have a cute uh ghost owl so i'm good uh and god what is that pokemon it looks like a dinosaur but he looks like a beetle i don't so know what he is but, type. but I, yeah yeah he's a dragon i've named him ringo and i like ringo oh. so far so so oh you meant that by a beetle so um the yeah. hydra hydra Gigan series what are they called when they're lower than that um because those guys are cute yeah, I I like him a lot. He's he's cute. Um I'm a big fan of him. And also the bird, the bird this time, who's like starts out as the little red like Oh, almost... isn't that bird beautiful and turns yeah, into he's... a toucan? A toucan. Um, yeah, he is or like a stork kind of. Hmm. Or at least that's the second evolution is like a stork. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But you know, he's he's the riff on Pidgeotto this time and like with most Pidgeotto riffs, I love him. That's really cool about you. Um, his the guy's name is Dino. Dino, yeah, Ringo. <laughs> yeah, he's a cutie pie. Uh, it gets odd for me on his third evolution when he has faces for hands. Um, oh, weird. Um, okay, I, I'm not there yet. But, right now, he still looks like a beetle for me, and his cool. name so makes you sense. Haven't, yeah, you haven't like played through. A thing I with my him Pokemon. Before? are like level 25 right cool. now cool. so i'm not that far yeah my biggest complaint i think with sudden moon is that i haven't been able to get magenta clothing and i don't understand why for the love of god they won't let me have magenta clothing because <laughs> they say purple and like it's like it's like purple you know Mm-hmm. it's like crayola crayon purple and that's not yeah. that's fine it's fine but it's not it's more ghost and not enough poison and i require poison and all of my poke my poison pokemon are all magenta that's the color that they are yeah you gotta match fair. those pokemon you gotta match the pokemons and so i gotta mostly wear all. all black and just look like a like an edgy teen sweet <laughs> um i think that's all of the buys yeah good okay so we made it through there all right, heroes, it's time for us to move on to a knowledge, and we're picking for this week Knowledge Morality. Partially inspired by my read of Volo's Guide to Monsters, I was talking to, on Twitter recently about uh, alignment, and Sophia uh, jumped into that conversation and talked about how she does not like alignment. 
And I think there are a lot of neat perspectives on this issue um, just as a tool. So I think to start off, we should state where we stand. Um, and I am neutral on alignment. Uh, I, you know, like all things D&D, it is a device and you can have a really fun, a morally complex game with uh, a lot of gray areas and make it closer to real life. Or you can, you know, play with good and evil as measurable elements of a fantasy universe because I like silly things. I generally speaking, when I am doing fantasy, I like alignment. I like things that are good and things that are evil. And more than that, for those to be measurable forces that like we can almost scientifically reproduce results for because that's madness. It's the sort of like, huh, what if the world worked that way? That would produce a really bizarre world to live in. So so that's where I stand on it, Kat. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to say I'm probably... I'm neutral to positive um, because uh, like I, I can see people's complaints against them, and I think they're super valid. Um, but uh, to me, it's a potential device and if you use it well, can get really, really cool. My favorite, not my favorite, I don't know. One of the many things I loved about Terry Pratchett was his ability <laughs> to take something and unreal, unrelentingly like hammer on it um, into his fantasy setting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, until he like picked out all of the pieces of commentary and did an adequate satire. Um, and it's always struck me as a system that was rife with that potential. Um, because there are creatures like werebears that can bite you and make you lawful good. Um, and that is fascinating to have as just a thing to work with in your world. Um, so as an element of world building, I really like alignment. Um, I think that people can play with it lazily and, um, that it can mean, that different interpretations can, um, like really rob your characters of nuance. Um, but, uh, since I don't enjoy playing in those ways, uh, I, I instead like find a lot there to dig into and have fun with. I I, I agree. That's, that's totally fair. Uh, we are so much closer on it than I would have originally envisioned. Um, Oh, what did you think that my response was? Well, generally speaking, when you run games, I have found, uh, or or even when you play in games, I have found that you like to take positions that deconstruct alignment as a real thing. Your characters, uh, notably Inway, Inway does not, A, does not believe in gods, which is very funny to me. (laughs) Which is so funny in her universe. Inway, please. Yes. In D&D, it's the funniest goddamn thing, and I love it. I love it. No business encouraging them. uh, And, like, alignment, you, most characters deny alignment, and uh, a lot of the time, your universe lives in gray areas and reinforces gray areas through storytelling. And like, especially we're, we're seeing that in Star Wars now. Uh, sure, that's a thing. But they don't have a, a straight up alignment system. Yeah, but they've got light side and dark side, and like, uh-huh. we but know what that things. means. <laughs> yeah, but we do know what that means, and they don't mean good and bad. Okay, but according to George Lucas. It's like selfishness and selflessness, and we kind of know what those are. Sure, but I actually don't think that selfishness and selfless again, if you um 
if you aren't selfish enough, you have the problem of slavery, and that's really rampant in his universe. You know, that we have a lot of instances of people not sticking up for or caring for themselves, which leads to bad things happening. Um, so, like, no matter how you slice light side and dark side, it's not as simple as good and evil to me. It, it can't be. Um, there's too much going on there. It's too interesting. Um, <laughs> like, it's, it just doesn't... You, you... I mean, y- yes, and you are probably better at interpreting George Lucas's universe than he was at writing that. Sure. Um, because I am, I am pretty yeah, I sure mean, that know, George Lucas was attempting I, to simplify. <laughs> I know what he wanted to do. I just think that what he wanted to do was shitty and boring. Um, and there is no reason to pay attention to it. Because it's not his myth that is ruling the minds of millions. It is a collective myth. It's Star Wars, yes. That, that um, we are all contributing to. Yeah. yeah but if, if we're going to pull back to alignment, it's just like my perspective on, on you as a player and a GM has always been, uh, let's explore these complex spaces. And I have rarely, if ever, seen you take advantage of, oh, let's let's assume the world is simplistic and bizarre. Um. Even in sure, like your sure, sure. fairy tale game, where I think you would have had the biggest excuse to do that, where we had that imp and everything. Well, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, exactly. You had the imp and everything, but like you, you explored different spaces uh, and didn't stick to good and evil like, like glue. You know, it wasn't a hard and fast rule ever for you, and it's, right. it's cool. But like, but I had alignment work correctly. So the this party session one adopted an imp. Um, which they should not have done. They kept this imp alive. <laughs> but but imps are very evil. He's a very lawful evil creature. And they, you know, cast... He became, like, the best friend of this paladin. And they would periodically cast alignment checks on him. And he'd flare up evil. Like, that. it was... Um, <laughs> and then they were heartbroken when he backstabbed them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, alignment was... It functioned correctly in that world. I don't know. I think I think there's space for both things. So I actually sort of wanted to talk about like a setting. So the fantasy setting that I normally set things in is like a satirical fantasy setting. And one of the things that came up is uh, a thing that I want to do with alignment there is because we have spells that tell tell whether somebody is good or evil and that D&D says that there are certain monsters and like entire species like races of fantasy races of people that are just predisposed born evil uh i was like okay if we were confronted with this and evil good and evil sort of works in degrees sort of like magical and non-magical works in degrees like that's the assumption the base assumption that i went in if you have a setting like mine where i've said all of these different fantasy races sort of live together in this city. How does that city function? And sure. one, well, keep oh, going. one of the, one of the things that I decided was that if you are a goblin and you steal something, the crime, the punishment for that crime is less severe than if you are a human because goblins are evil so they're supposed to steal oh that's really funny yeah that's an interesting way of looking at it to me it's so like imagine how many people would be up in arms about like how it has nothing to do with morality because i'm not sure that it does um really like if you look at it (laughs) 
stick with me. Go so on. Much of it, so much of it is tied in, in D&D specifically. Mm-hmm. So much of it is tied to the gods these people are supposed to worship or who created them, one assumes. Mm. Um, and they match up to the gods alignment. Um, so that oh, it's that's not interesting. a... Right? Um, so like changing your alignment in D&D typically is supposed to be re- related to morality, but just on like the monster scale, it never struck me that it had anything to do with, you know, like there might be a certain sort of actions, but the further we dig on in on say kobolds, the more we re- realize that all of their stuff doesn't even, none of it seems to be innate, right? It has to do with the circumstances of their birth. Right. Um, but especially uh, kobolds, in Volo's guide, gee whiz. <laughs> and uh but kobolds are gonna ping as chaotic evil um, um yes i believe chaotic which has to do with the 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 dragon god that made them which um, has to do with tiamat so tiamat tiamat yeah tiamat yeah. at least their god was tiamat's servant okay sure sure but like she it all rolls up under tiamat and her realm and the stuff that she has control over in this giant D game that they presumably are playing um that like to be within someone's domain seems to make you a part of that kobolds are lawful evil yo oh cool that's good that's better than chaotic yes chaotic evil is Uh, it can be done well. I think demons are really interesting, um, but I obviously prefer devils. Um, yeah, de- yeah, devils I, are I, the best. Agreed. Love chaotic e- or love uh, lawful evil. Lawful evil. Um, <laughs> and I'm like neutral on chaotic evil. Yeah, you can do interesting things with it, but people tend to not. So, like, then the individual morality section on top of that. You know, like it's a, it's an odd comparative thing. I had been approaching it as like a weird magical genetic thing. Um, I mean, it but, does seem to be magical and genetic. I agree wholeheartedly. But, well, see, it's interesting. I mean, for you, man, I like thinking of it in terms of uh, your way, like tying it more into religion. Like it is a cultural thing, but it's almost like a cosmic atomic genetic thing it's because an evil god made this thing like there is a core of evil somewhere in there and it like always draws these these creatures to evil which is fascinating and the question that i have is um is that a continued domain like do kobolds continue to be born that way because tiamat maintains control of them um in whatever the the like Excel sheet, the cosmic <laughs> Excel sheet, they're marked down as belonging to Tiamat. But um, if, say, a young kobold were to go on a quest to r- relieve his people from this plight, and he went through the sufficient stuff to like change that alignment over from Tiamat's ownership to to who knows to in this setting to make everything the worst to Garl Glittergold, um, ah, the worst, no. But, but then, he, but then they'd be pinging as chaotic good. Um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's that's really fascinating, Cat. Love mm-hmm. that. Well, that's because... the question. And would it just happen to older generations, or is it only new kobolds that are born that are now chaotic good? Whenever you flash your specs and spells at them to see what they are. Yeah, alignment changing is a thing, and this is a point that Sophia brought up when we were when I I was talking to her. Is like she wants. She always wants to play in games where it's possible for bad people to be reformed, 
Um, sure. And I, I absolutely uh, agree with that perspective. And I, I don't necessarily think in a world where good and evil are real measurable forces that that should be impossible. Like, I like the idea of somebody changing their stars, changing their alignment, and rewriting their genetic code. And I really, really am fascinated by your idea of realigning the genetic code of an entire race to, like, turn them from evil to good. Like, that's a fascinating campaign. And that brings us back to the werebear paradox of morality. Which I think yeah, we should talk um, about since we're talking about it generally. Okay, yeah. It's really... So I've been in a game where... In the same game that James played a werebear. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way that we know about werebears. Uh, I played a character who I set out to make very selfish. And she did fine. She was she was doing great. <laughs> correctly backstabbing. But then we got an... Ex- but then this... Um, there was a contest happening and we realized there was an external threat to the contest. And then over the course of things, I got more wrapped up in the meta plot. Um, so at one point, my character was tortured for information on the behest of someone else to make sure that one of our plots would go through, um, which was a fun thing for me to act out at the time. But it meant that she had she went underwent an alignment change that made her less selfish and evil. Um because it was it was a cool moment in a game that was full of a lot of cool moments. Yes. Um it was it wasn't one that I was necessarily looking to have, but it was totally made sense at the time and also uh showcased that a way that a lot of people would play with alignment is uh that it's it can be fluid amongst player characters. If there's a sufficient enough reason, an event that would change your alignment, you can change your alignment. Um as as did happen to me. In the same game, James played a werebear. Yes. And werebears, uh, sort of like werewolves, uh, they have this large complex mythology. And like, you know, when you get bit by a werewolf, you slowly change into a werewolf and you threaten the people that you love most and the ones closest to you. And D&D reflects that by slowly you make these will saves. And if you fail them, eventually your alignment changes to chaotic evil. Uh, as well with, as you turning into a wolf person. Yes, as well as you turning into a wolf person. With where bears, they did the opposite thing. And where bears, if they bite you, you get afflicted with lycanthropy and you turn into a gigantic bear person. But also you're making will saves to not turn lawful good. Um, yeah. So where bears eventually, like if somebody's been living with that long enough, they will become good people. And it's so fascinating to me because I figure I figure they get this from Snow White and Rose White, Red, which is a, a Brothers Grimm fairy tale, um, which has a werebear king in it who is a, a human, presumably he used to be a human guy who's been turned into a werebear and he goes around and whatever, helps during this quest. Um, but like it associates, that gives you the, the lawful good alignment, you know, and... It also makes it clear that in this case, the morality of lawful good is all about maintaining the status quo. Yeah. And uh, promoting royalty. Um, things that I fucking hate. You know, <laughs> things that I don't think of as particularly moral. Um, but like, right. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if I'd call this thing a straight up morality system. Because um, I think that if you bite somebody, 
knowing that you're going to change their alignment, that is an evil act. Period. Yeah. It's fascinating. I mean, one of the things, because this game that we were playing in that, that Sam ran, demons were like hell was rising up, and not hell, but the abyss was rising up and demons were ravaging this world. And I was like, okay, well, I got this werebear character. They're like evil people and evil creatures. So any humanoid that I bite will like turn into a good person eventually. Like that's just the nature of the disease. Yeah. And it just becomes this interesting ethical quandary, like a punishment for crimes could potentially be turning somebody into a werebear because yeah. you know that it will reform their behavior, but it also removes their free will and agency, uh, yes, which is a, not good. It, it's not good. It's a, it's a terrible friggin' thing. And that like, and that that would, I'm not sure that that act to, to me, that's an incredibly evil act. But I'm not sure that it's evil according to the alignment chart. Well, you know, I, I, I think also, it continues to be a lawful good activity um, according to the alignment chart. Well, like, I also kind of, I mean, in real life, I kind of feel ethically it's less evil than the way we deal with crime. Sure. Um, <laughs> potentially, maybe. I don't know. It's really nebulous. That's the, I have a lot of problems with removing people's agency. Yeah. That's it's, like, I mean, it's. It's a fascinating thing. It's like such a fascinating, weird, uh, like ethical paradox that we only get if alignment is a measurable force that right. like has these magical curses attached to it. It's stuff that I want to grapple with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the this is the fun of D&D &D to me. This is the shit that I like about D&D, &D, that it has all of these needless rules and they can turn into stuff that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, like I've always wanted to play a paladin. Like, always wanted to play a paladin. And I've never done it. But I really, really like the idea that you are grappling with keeping your alignment. And, like, that's that's a threat to you, is that you have to constantly uphold that moral code that you have. Yeah. Yeah, regardless of whether or not it's the, in fact, moral thing to be doing. Um, because I, I don't think the world's about you guys. I think the world is about a cosmic struggle that's happening. It's really interesting. But that stuff is potentially fueled by belief because like like Bokob and folks used to be human, you know, that they, they used to be denizens of the world before they were given godhood status. It's a really very, you know, that how, that's a question that I really want answered. How does one become a god in D&D? &D? I think it has something to do with the over god. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. Oh man, we like we can we should talk about the cosmology of D and D at a different point, just point. because yeah. it's great, and and just like the Greek mythology that plays out in D and D, like gods pulling pranks on each other and imprisoning each other forever. Garl, glitter gold, trash, trash king of trash mountain. Um, but yeah, I so I, I think alignment is a thing, and I think it is very popular and in vogue these days to poo poo alignment and be like. Uh, oh, it, it leads to simplistic storytelling. Oh, it's an arbitrary and stupid rule. And I think where I come down on it is, yes, it is an arbitrary and stupid rule. And do you, if you embrace that yeah. for all of its arbitrary stupidity, you can get you can get some good mileage out of it, some good storytelling yeah. mojo. I, I agree. Yeah. That's my thoughts on it, generally. I'm, I'm trying to... Other reasons that you might not like it, I think have to probably have to do with 
the way people are behaving around the table. Yeah. I mean, individual player stuff comes a lot into it. Like, especially if you've got a DM who enforces it in a gross way or a player who insists on it in weird ways. And like anytime people talk about killing goblin babies, it's just like, I can, there are some campaigns where that might be an interesting thing, but like, it's also at this point to me, sort of a, I don't know, trite, maybe not like it doesn't have the teeth anymore because like it's an ethical quandary that's been presented to a lot of people through other people's game stories. So I'm less interested in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, I guess to me, like, if I were to play with it in a game um, and someone were to insist that that is a lawful good action, I think that they're right. Um, I think that that is, according to alignment, a lawful good action. And I think that the more you play, the more you realize that morality has nothing to do with that chart. And that, in fact, you are bad guys. You know? Absolutely. That, That chart does rule over stuff in that world. Um, just because it's called an alignment chart doesn't mean what it doesn't need to mean what you think it means. Which adds In another world... great like layer of complexity yeah. to it. Now I think it's time for our encounter. And I say encounter this this month because it is not a random encounter. No. Oh no, friends. Last time Kat and I talked uh and we did a random encounter, uh we read from Ryutama. And we got the delightful monster that is the rat ball, which is just like a rolling tumbleweed full of rats. That's right. Oh, um, so good. And it was just, it was, it was good. It's like pure goodness. And we had yeah. an audio issue that made us lose that whole discussion. Uh, but it made Kat bring up one of her favorite monsters, which is... Moon rats! Moon rats! Or the lunar rat! Um, and we will explain moon rats and lunar rats, uh, but I, I picked up Volo's Guide to Monsters, and there are other fun rat monsters there. Uh, so, so, Joel, just laying it on the line, today we are talking about semi-sentient rats. Yes. Continue, James. We are talking about sentient rats, and we are talking about uh, what... I, I'm just very excited to, to dive into this subject. So, Kat, first, can you bring everybody onto your level with moon rats and why moon rats are their new favorite thing. Okay. Let me tell you about moon rats. Moon rats are regular rats. They're just motherfucking rats. <laughs> but <laughs> but stick with me. As the moon goes through its orbital phase and we we go from a completely new moon and we start to wax into a full moon. They gain Increasing amounts of intelligence until on the full moon, they are, they vastly outperform humans in every capacity. Yes. And then as the moon wanes again, goes through its gibbous phases, they lose that intelligence again until (laughs) on the new moon, they are back to being regular fucking rats. Just rats. (laughs) Moon rats. rats. Moon rats. They're probably are... called lunar rats, but I'm never going to be able to think of them as anything other than moon rats, all in caps with many exclamation points. And do we remember where did this come from? Where did moon rats or lunar rats come from? The DMG. This is a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Which DMG is it? Like second I'm edition? Looking it up. 
Um, I don't know because we found them in in the city in cityscape, right? Weren't they in cityscape? Oh, you're right. They were from cityscape. But I don't know if that's what they're from originally. They are oh, called good. moon rats. They're called not called lunar rats. They're just called moon rats. Uh, good news, cat. Moon uh, rat is also a real mo- a real animal. <laughs> so that's <laughs> well. Good. We're not talking about that. Um, they are from the third edition monster manual too. That's where okay. they're from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they friggin' rule. Uh, so let's talk about moon rat society. Well, because do you want yeah. do you want to talk about what your thing is? What are, what rats I, I are you actually, bringing to the table today? Okay, okay. I guess we'll generally introduce these rats, and then we'll think about these rats society. Then we'll dig in. Mm-hmm. So, in Volo's Guide to Monsters, uh, cranium rats are a type of uh, a new new cool type of rat. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just read the entry on cranium rats. Yeah. Mind flayers create cranium rats by bombarding normal rats with psionic energy. Uh, cranium rats are no smarter than ordinary rats and behave as such. However, if enough cranium rats come together to form a swarm, they merge their minds into a single intelligence with the accumulated memories of all the swarm's constituents. The rats become smarter as a result. And they retained their heightened intelligence for as long as the swarm persists. The swarm also awakens latent psionic abilities implanted within the cranium rats by their mind flayer creators, bestowing upon the swarm psionic powers similar to spells. They made a rat king monster. They made a great rat king they monster. They made a really good rat king monster. Oh, that's so cool. Um, a rat separated from the swarm becomes an ordinary cranium rat with an intelligence of 15. Whoa! And loses one point of intelligence each day that it remains separated from the swarm. Its intelligence can't drop below four, uh, and becomes 15 again once it rejoins the swarm. So I love this. Yes. I love everything about this. Other things that we will probably talk about are were rats. They're, they're just like were bears and werewolves, <laughs> but they're, they're rats. rats. <laughs> um, and I believe that they are chaotic evil or lawful evil. Um, yes. Yes. And like, God, I want to do a deep dive and find more great, rat monsters um we really love rat monsters especially because like so if you read amazing morris and his educated rodents uh the primary antagonist in that is a rat king um and like it is a hive mind collective rat king that sort of has psychic powers it's not to me as compelling as the cranium rat no and um, it's not like a rat of Nim, which I guess is another like kind of cool, intelligent rat that we can talk through. Um, but I, I think rat antagonists are really interesting. And at finding out about moon rats and cranium rats has really made me want to add to my setting uh, this sort of warring uh, meta-political plot between different intelligent species of rats. And, like, the various advantages that they have going for them. Uh, So I think the way I first want to broach the subject is to talk about moon rats and how fascinating the society is and and must be. Like, how they function. Oh, yeah. Um, I think about this a lot. Um, Because you know you're going to be super stupid. You know that. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. 
and you know that people don't like rats. Like you, you know all of these things. Um, so I imagine you have, and so far we'll talk about this later in the "What would you do to change Moon Rats" section. Mm-hmm. But like, or basically, the thing that I always want to do with Moon Rats is put them in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Because they can sneak aboard ships and be relatively unnoticed and colonize new lands. And um, they can go to planets that have multiple moons. (laughs) So they don't have a huge gap in their intelligence cycle, making them terrifying god beasts. Um, but, uh, But back to regular moon rats, you have Earth's lunar cycle to go by. So we have like roughly a, a... whatever what 15 day once a month yeah type of thing going um it is like 15 days between cycles between the two moons right uh yeah i can't remember how often a blue moon comes up so well but that wouldn't change up the difference between that would change up it would change it up for rats though because if there's a blue moon if there are two full moons in a month they get twice the intelligence bonus well, yeah, but the, still the same amount of time has passed for them between the two different cycles, you know? Right, right. Um, so, whatever. They don't have that long. They have probably like a two-week period between um, from once they're at their peak intelligence coming all the way back down until they're they're at their lowest point, right? Um, yeah. And so much of that has got to be about resource management, um, and finding ways to break down things to better provide for all of your rats in the meantime. And um, figuring out what the job is going to be next month. Because because let's face it, you're criminals out of necessity. Oh, yeah. Um, that's you hit that full moon and you guys pull a heist every goddamn time. And then you fence those diamonds before you get on the smart again. <laughs> without without ever letting on that you're rats. <laughs> and um, then, then you have to deal with like using that money to buy goods and then storing those goods where people aren't going to be suspicious. And then finding a way to gather all of your smart enough brethren so that they're probably not going to die during their most stupid period. And the other thing that I love about this, not only are you a species living between uh, brief glimpses at brilliance, because like that that's fascinating enough, but they're also, in other respects, normal rats. So they live like five years? Yeah, maybe, not too long. Most? No, no, they're just regular rats. So they live, what, like four? Four for five years max? For, yeah, I, I, like I think so. And maybe maybe moon rats will live slightly better than like normal rats, but... They have must have this fascinating outlook, like, and they must have a really interesting thoughts on life cycle. Uh, yeah, just like because they sort of die every every month. You know, they yep. they get dumb and they lose their sense of self, um, and then they build themselves back up to be to think in ways that human beings can't even approach. Can't possibly. Other things that are like huge concerns for them, wherever they're, let's take all the the humans and the cops that have been assigned to their cases for years trying to figure out what is going on. Um, <laughs> like that Zenigata is my favorite Zenigata. Um, just like what, 
what must he think? Does he know at this point that it's rap based, but not know how to prove it? What is going on? I think the lunar <laughs> rats are, are definitely a step ahead of him. Oh, they have to be. They have to be. So they like think it's some someone pulling repeat heists and are. Oh, I just Zeni Gata, I love you, but but ignoring him, ignoring him, and the threat that he and exterminators pose. Uh, <laughs> They have just like sore problems and other rat problems, rats that aren't intelligent rats. Or are you or do you care about them and you're trying to provide for all ratdom? What are your goals? Uh, um, here, here's another thing. Law. What's law like in this universe for these rats? Because, you know, when they're at the height of their intelligence, they try to design a government system that works all the way down through different systems of intelligence. And so there must be points where the rats are intelligent enough to question their own rules, but not intelligent enough to see the wisdom of the way they were just a couple days ago. Um, oh, buddies. So, so like, I, I imagine major tragedies uh, in this rat community are born out of them not being intelligent enough to interpret their own law and disregarding really important information that they were trying to tell themselves when they were geniuses. Yeah. That's the, I think, figure the most stable places for moon rat societies are probably like forests and things, right? Where they can just go crazy um, and have stable government systems. Um, that's not where the hot moon rat action is. That's obviously the city. But, um, but, but if people, if, if, if moon rats were to, were to stick around, they could just like take over a forest. Um, and, and then there are a lot of societal questions. What makes a good moon rat or a bad moon rat? What of crimes that you perform, like things that would be crimes if you were born with full intelligence that just happen when you're just a regular rat? When you're just a regular rat. I mean, you probably accidentally kill each other frequently frequently and like huge losses to the community rats that truly love and respect each other kill each other yeah just over territory food in the meantime food. yeah yeah you know, rat stuff over rat stuff but that's why you try to make it so that there isn't want you know because so that rats don't have to kill each other in that downtime so that you're all be provided for yeah so, so moon rats get to make up this really fascinating, like, circumstantial threat. It's there's a point each month, at least one point each month, where they are smarter than anyone else um, and more dangerous than anything because, like, they can be anywhere and they can lay all of these plans and traps out for their enemies and rivals. So if I am like thinking in larger terms of my meta plot rat of like warring tribes of rats that actually control society that we never see, uh, these rats are vulnerable theoretically, but who knows what traps and plans they have laid um, while they were super smart rats. The DMG even suggests pairing them with were rats um, and says that were rats are just regular people. So they're probably not that smart compared to the moon rats. Um, 
But it's not unreasonable to think, since people don't like were-rats in D&D, they're not supposed to, that um, that they would act as vassals for them, protecting them and doing stuff while preparing plans um, that had been given to them while the moon rats were no longer intelligent. Yeah, it, moon rats, super cool. Now I want to turn our attention to cranium, cranium rats. rats. So cranium rats only have 15 intelligence at the height of their intelligence they are slightly above average for human intelligence which makes the question of cranium rats uh, as a threat especially if we're putting them in a meta world where cranium rats are different than moon rats and they could be rivals to each other because they're fighting for the same places in society and the same resources, really, because it's the resources that a rat can potentially get at. And right. they have intelligence to know that we need to acquire these resources. The limitations that cranium rats have are they have to act as a swarm. So they're a lot more conspicuous than moon rats are. However, you could have a cranium rat collective that lives in different parts of the city. You could have like a group of 50 rats that lives in one part of town and a group of 200 rats that live in another part of town. And if they trade rats back and forth, they get everybody else's knowledge and experience just through that mm -hmm. exchange. Um, and, and like they hold on to that intelligence for a little while. For 15 uh, days. For 15 no, for, days. For 10 days. For 10 days because they minimum four, right? Yeah. Roughly. So, so they have days. this fantastic hive mind where they can coordinate and understand things in a way that lunar rats can't lunar rats are still going to have or moon rats are still going to have the cult of personality disagreements between each other there will be warring rat philosophers that don't think the same thing whereas cranium rats act as a self-interested swarm always uh, which is a huge advantage they're just dumber than moon rats. Well, they're so their intelligence level is people. It's just like if you were to start going close to people, you suddenly get all of the other person's access to all of the other person's memories and you lose your sense of personhood. And you I, know yeah, that. I, I, it's interesting. I, I guess you're right. It, I guess when a cranium, cranium rat runs away from the swarm, it probably starts to grow a sense of self. That's a wholly different experience than being the cranium rat collective. Mm -hmm. Well, also just imagine changing how different changing up your swarms is and that whole experience. You know, just like because their intelligence level is people. So we have th just think about the walking around Chicago, how frustrating it would be as an individual to live like this. But then you stop living as an individual, you know, and you start living as this swarm. Yeah, yeah. And they've got friggin' magic. They have, yes. like, one advantage that the moon rats... I don't know if there can be moon rat spellcasters. I kind of like the idea of, like, moon rats can't cast spells themselves and they have to manipulate other creatures into casting those spells for them. Well, moon rats are... I don't think, like, you can't play a moon rat. Um, okay, I guess. You know that there was never monster levels given for them. They are a monster to be to be tackled. Um, but 
I don't see why not. If someone just really wanted to be a wizard and spent all of their time doing that, they could do it. It would just take them a very long time. Well, I, I feel like just the limitations that they face. I don't think a rat can learn to be a wizard because it probably doesn't live long enough to get the basic information that you need to get. That's a great point about D&D, that wizard is all education based and it presumes that you go through a lot of schooling. It presumes you go through a lot of schooling and another thing, like if they manage to start learning spells, they might only be able to get so far because they've got five years and the window of time in those five years where they're intelligent enough to know those spells. Because in order to cast fifth level spells, you need at least a 15 intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, is it worth it to waste young rat names life? Um so that during X thing in four years that we're planning now, we all have haste. Well, that's the thing. You could just buy a scroll of haste and pay some idiot to cast it. Much better plan. Much better plan. Yeah. And, and so, the moon uh, yeah, rats, I don't think it's that they can't. I just think logistically it's difficult. It, do, you, or, you or know, it doesn't make like, sense. It just doesn't make sense right. for them to learn. It just it doesn't themselves. make sense. Like they, were, it doesn't seem like they're going to be sorcerers. So they'd have to think their way into, into this whole thing because, like, wizards, no knowledge if there's innate a magical ability there. It seems like if you do the schoolwork, you get it. Um, that you can tap into whatever the mana stream is. Um, so they could. They just why would they? whereas cranium rats like probably don't have like the intelligence to think their way around it or really i'm actually their charisma is 14 so maybe they do have the charisma to manipulate people but they have they have magical goddamn powers yeah so then we come to wear rats which are people who are are thrust thrust onto the outer edges of society by this curse. And I think it gives you like plus two dexterity being a were-rat. Yeah, you get increased dexterity. Yeah, it makes you, I think, chaotic evil and dexterity. And they are like the in-between. And like I picture in a city, there is a were-rat mafia. And the were-rat mafia is really more of a freelance organization that is caught between the rivalry and cold war between cranium rats and moon rats. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful. So with that, with that glimpse into this beautiful meta rat future, because again, the aspirations apart from like getting food, uh, the aspirations of these rats is wholly separated from the humanoid experience to the point where players won't notice that there's this entirely different type of creature alive and that they have conflicting aspirations and like who knows how much they control and whether or not it matters that they control it to the average person. (laughs) I mean, really, if all they're doing is raiding the cheese factory... Who the fuck cares other than that cheese merchant? But they may they, uh, they might also have 
politicians in their pocket that are arguing no, for zoning do. laws that they, they don't even understand. Do. They have and to. Like, because they have to keep certain areas of those sores like as disease free as possible because that's a concern for them. And like it's good for humanoid society that the sewers be better. <laughs> oh. uh, so moon rats. Moon rats. Cranium rats. Cranium mm-hmm. rats. Um really just an amazing thing cat how do we make this already almost perfect thing better damn well put it in star wars for the love of god please put moon rats in your game i just think about you just have three rats on on a ship that's going somewhere else and they check it out you know like all it that's all it takes that's all it takes <laughs> well, I see. I would be picturing like if I'm lunar rats, I'm sending myself in a crate from one planet to another. No, that's what they're doing. You know that they they've got like 200 rats aboard <laughs> aboard this thing because they found out this this one planet aboard the Minoc only has has a week of downtime, but like has a four week cycle and so many moons. You know. Yeah, exactly. That like that's that's real good. Um I think uh for me, uh my moon rats are still in a fantasy setting, but their big game changing aspiration is to put enough resp- resources together to cast a spell to make it so that the moon is always full. That's a good adventure. Um, and like they are smart enough to know that when they cast the spell, they have to do it in a way that won't cause an apocalypse. Right. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just like years of gathering resources, years of like getting spellcasters into the right place to cast this spell. And who knows what the world is like for them once they're always super smart. God. I I really like the campaign that's about that's like a revolution story but the further you get into it you realize that the only reason that any of this is happening is because of these moon rats. Moon rats. <laughs> that like there wasn't a discrepancy you know that this doesn't that the revolution doesn't need to be happening. I I find it fascinating just like what what is their ratty reason this time? There's got to be one. Or the revolution definitely does need to be happening. But do you want the were rats in place organizing all of this stuff? Well, What's I mean, their deal? It's the thing. The moon rats, like, obviously need a strong middle class because the more people are throwing away edible things, the easier access they have to food. So it makes sense for them. And also, in the palaces, they don't like seeing rats. So the best thing is to make sure the resources are evenly distributed. So, of course, they have to inspire a revolution. Oh, my God. Just like the 20-year campaign that is getting rats to be spoken of well in kids' textbooks. Oh, my God, cat! Yes. <laughs> these good rats. Um, oh, these good, good rats. Uh I feel I feel like you I feel like the monster is real complete. I feel like everything that I can give to make it better is just like adventure hooky. I don't see that the monster needs anything additional. Um because they're because they're a bunch of 
little rats. And it would be so much more convenient to be small when pulling off the most crimes in a, medi- in a medieval setting. I agree. <laughs> I, I think for me, probably, it, it's the addition of like other sentient rat types. Like... The cranium rat, I think, is is a really good one because. But that doesn't improve moon rats. So how do you improve? It does. It makes moon rats more interesting because it gives them a rival. Like moon rats, they're really struggling against themselves. Like is the main thing. Or Zenigata, you guys. Or Zenigata. Give them an inner, please give them someone from Interpol who is trying so hard to track down this master thief. Well, that's, that's the magical crimes unit. That's the MCU. It's so good. Um, so yeah, it's like, try not to be discovered struggling against their own nature. But if they have another creature that is not them, but is competing for the same resources, I think it makes them even more interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and cranium rats sort of fill that gap. And then Pretty much when, are great. Yeah, if you come to like rats of Nim, who are like always intelligent rats that are like regular rats that are regular intelligent, but they have their own society and like they can use tools and they also have a complex of being created, like that's really interesting too. So the more you populate this uh world below the world where sentient vermin sort of like clash and this you can even tie in my my beloved kobolds as kobolds live in crawl spaces in my city setting so like you've got this other sentient vermin that is like physically superior and they live long natural lives so they can learn magic it's just i love the idea of there being a struggle that the average humanoid race would not even encounter or understand. Yeah, it's it it would feel very random. Um Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but so you, cranium rats. You come you round the corner and you just see a bunch of dead rats with like tiny swords in their hands. Oh no. Like no. that would just happen. Why? There's a Why? scuffle. Why would rats There's a war. Do you think that they you think that they would fight with tiny swords? Uh, I mean, it's probably more, uh, maybe not tiny swords. It depends on rats of Nim would be able to use tools. That's one of their major advantages is that like their bones work differently so they can use tools. But I guess, but cranium rats and lunar rats, if they had to fight, don't you think they would develop some sort of weaponry to make it better for them and easier for them to fight if they had to fight? Maybe the little, little bite masks and yeah protectors armor like just like leather armor would be a huge game changer yeah yeah they definitely wear armor i can see that um because like armor they can put on themselves and trust that only a certain amount is going to be lost right um Uh, the reporters who start noticing that rats are wearing like football getup. This is so good. This is like, <laughs> I, I don't even, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't want to run this as a role-playing game. I almost see this like as a board game or just a series of novels that I would want to read. But like, mm. man, board game of like, you're a type of intelligent rat. These are your abilities. 
now fight for the control of the city. Yeah. And you have to like do it by manipulating politicians and capturing warehouses and whatnot. Man, I'm into that. God, I'm really into it. I'm also just like fascinated about the logistics of plague. Oh Um, my God. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's so cool. It's really, really cool. Rats, man. And being a rat catcher in this universe. Because that's a profession. God legit, and rat catchers would profession. know. Yeah. They they'd would know. Absolutely know. They would suspect it. Mm-hmm. They, they, they'd know because they'd die if they weren't careful. Um. So, yeah. And I think with that, we... Well, how would you improve uh, cranium rats? Do you... So cranium rats, I, I think it's really a matter of the context that you put them in. The connection to illithids is really interesting because um, they are like a created rat, and they might have they might have some of that complex of being like an incidental experiment that uh, forked off of uh, illithids, like. What do they make of themselves? And I think philosophically that's really interesting. Um, I think cranium rats is probably, if you separate cranium rats from illithids and just like you have cranium rats, you have this super intelligent, perfect spy, a race that can potentially know everything, but they also can't reproduce themselves. I think like their major struggle to me is how do we make more cranium rats? How do we not die out? Oh, so each individual rat has to be made? You can't That's, be born a cranium rat. I, I don't know. I don't know if you can be born a cranium rat. And maybe that would be my way of improving them is saying that you can't be born you a can't. cranium rat. And like cranium rats happen every now and then because the illithids are cruel and they perform this experiment or whatever. And the goal of a collective of cranium rats is to continue to be cranium rats and figure out a way to develop the psionic power that will allow them to make more. Right. Um, I think I would make the Rat King's mechanic real solidified in that there would be, if you tied the tails together of some rats, of some cranium rats, and made it impossible for them to escape each other. Mm-hmm. That that entity, like, in time, gets named. Like, gets D&D named. Yeah, that's cool. That, like, because I, I think that, you know, you can have a number of rat kings for an individual swarm, but they'd have different attributes. Um, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Cat. But, oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. I'm reading the abilities that they have here for cranium rats. And I think this is uh, really, really kind of important for us to acknowledge. Okay. The first ability listed is illumination. Mm -hmm. As a bonus action, the cranium rat can shed a dim light from its brain in a five foot radius or extinguish that light. Meaning their brains are visible and they glow. Whoa. And that they can also control that blinky style. Is Blink that how they talk? Are they like squid? Um, well, hold, hold on to that thought there, Kat. Um, I, I don't think they talk. I do think they are a hive mind collective. Mm-hmm. But, but semaphore style, different groups of cranium rats without sending a messenger could probably ah, blink at each other from across the city. Oh, shit. 
Um, innate spellcasting psionics. As long as it has more than half of its hit points remaining, the swarm can innately cast the following spells, requiring no components. The first is command. The second is Ugh. comprehend languages. Okay, cool. Uh, the third is detect thoughts. And once a day, uh, it can do... Con- uh, and those those were all at will. Um, right. Command, comprehend languages, and detect thoughts. Once a day, confusion mm-hmm. and dominate monster. Yes, good. Good. These are all very good. And like when you give it that palette... Of because like when I was first picturing psionic abilities, I was picturing like telekinesis, but that's oh. not part of it the game mm-hmm. at all, which is interesting. Yeah, it's all control. It's so all these control. these are the perfect spies. So maybe another way to make cranium rats interesting is to make them the number two of some big bad, because you know, like a lich that is friends with some cranium rats is a very very scary monster. Yeah, that's really. It's a good, it's a good mon. Sweet mon. Sweet mon. Uh, do you have any thoughts on cranium rats? Any more thoughts on cranium rats? Now with that, with that brain casing light in mind. <laughs> well, so I don't think that I, I didn't think that they were telekinesis because when I think of a rat king, I think of mind control. I mm-hmm. think of them being able to control you and that being the terror um, in right. time because they control other rats. Um, that's a given. But, um, but, but that. Oh, the only new information for me there really was the Blinky, which is really, really convenient. Um, <laughs> also, just like a terrifying way to ambush people, you know? Oh, that, yeah. Like, it's a great visual. That's the... But but people who haven't lit torches because they think the cave or the dungeon has a light resource, but it's been these rats the whole time. Oh, and then they that's just, good one out dim of the lights um there are lots of lots of cool things you could do with them um yeah i the only thing that i think i'd do was if you that making rat kings would be a thing um and that i think that if a rat king has existed for a long enough period of time that it gets abilities that aren't just those Ooh, I kind of like that. I kind of like that as being a worrisome disease that can happen if a swarm is together too long. Mm. Like you don't want to merge together. Like that creates something else, something yeah. like cosmic something horror. Very, very dangerous. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be very, very dangerous. So I'm well, into it. This, yeah, I'm, I'm into this whole thing. Um so I think with that, uh, the camera slowly rises out of the depths of the sewer uh, through the earth up to street level where we go through some floorboards of a tavern and we see our paladin and witch sitting together, uh, sharing a pint and laughing, not knowing the intelligent horror that lurks beneath the city streets. <laughs> How would we ever know? And with that, I think we got to retire to bed. And I think that's uh, it. normally yeah, we, we would wake the fighter, but we're staying at a tavern here so Meg can sleep. Good night, everyone. <laughs> and we'll hit stop.